This podcast contains swear words, spoilers, and smooches. Come jibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibibib
At her funeral, Janet is rebooted, but with no memories. Michael then announces he will stay and try to solve Janet's murder, while she slowly re-uploads all the knowledge in the universe. He also explains that this means he isn't the problem with the neighborhood. Dun, dun, dun! Wicka, wicka, what? <laughs> that was good. Flashbacks showed Chidi lying to a co-worker about some objectively ugly cowboy boots. Oh, obsessing oh I object, over I that object lie to the for subjectivity you. of your summary. <laughs> Overruled. <laughs> Chidi obsesses over that lie for years and then finally confesses only after said co-worker survives a risky procedure in the hospital. The episode ends with Eleanor telling Chidi that she loves him and then admitting to the entire neighborhood that she is the problem because she was brought to the good place by mistake. Dun, dun, dun. Great. Great, great, great. All right, Jim Jam. Yes. Are you aware of our rating system? I am aware that a rating system exists. All right. So uh, Adobe's going to tell us what the... It's Master Adobe. Sorry, Master Adobe. Oh, I'm going to have to remember that for it's this whole thing. Gonna, yeah, you are. Master Adobe. Uh, is going to tell us what the, what the rating system is. Okay. Out of a possible 37 moonbeam cigars, we will be rating this episode according to the time-honored criteria of dancing ability, coolness, dopeness, freshness, and smart-brained. All right. Commence. Dancing ability. Dancing ability. Okay. Uh, I'm going to give it five out of 37. Oh, I'm going to give it 37. What? Out of 37. What? Where does dancing happen? Explain yourself. I mean, it was never specified whether it was dancing in the episode that we're rating or whether it's the episode itself. You feel like the episode itself would be good at dancing? I get like a good dancing vibe from this episode. (laughs) I don't know what that means. (laughs) How do we tease apart that sentence? I'm sticking with my answer. This is... Wow. This is wild. Wow. <laughs> wow, he's he's really just thrown a um a real wrench in this whole <laughs> this whole rickety machine. Yep. Oh my god. Okay, um, I'm sorry. I I can change us. my answer if if it's necessary. Yeah, I mean nothing's necessary. No. Okay, great. 37 out of 37. <laughs> I'm reeling uh, still. It's getting 5 for me and the 5 are earned entirely by the boots, which are great and mm. would clearly be great for dancing in but we never see anybody dance that's that's great that's an actual uh realistic and legitimate answer uh to this category i appreciate that and thank you hannah but counterpoint (laughs) what is not this whole episode about not a dance between eleanor and michael (laughs) i've really i've really strong negative feelings about metaphors so walk walk carefully (laughs) tread softly the word dance. <laughs> the dictionary defines dancing. The word dance can have many meanings. That's my explanation. I'm done. Okay, great. Master Adobe. Um, I mean, I'm going to give it eight. <laughs> so you're choosing not to interpret dance in the way Jim Jam is? Absolutely not. I, I patently refuse to. <laughs> Um, the boots, as Hannah has noted, have the potential for great dancing, like inherently built into them. And also when Janet is killed and falls down 
surprisingly gracefully, that could be interpreted as the first 7% of doing the worm. And then she just stops. <laughs> I mean, it's like a death drop, but on her front. Oh my God, it is literally a death drop. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you know what, what? bitch? That's amazing. My rating's going up to a twelve. <laughs> I mean, a thirty-seven is still absurd, but yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. Has You're... anything else ever gotten in a perfect score before? Yeah, for yeah, sure, absolutely, okay. for sure, and much more appropriately. <laughs> How dare you? I dare. <laughs> All right, moving on to coolness. I think this is a mega cool episode. Real it's, cool. It's a real crux. It's a real cruxer. It's a real one sec. One sec. <laughs> oh yeah such good foley work yep, on this podcast yep. it's it's uh it's narratively exciting uh there's beautiful cohesion between the flashback and what's happening in the present day there's interesting stuff to unpack about uh what's going on philosophically that ties in really seamlessly like i think it's one of the best written episodes i'm super into this episode 36 36 is great I, i'll i'll rubber stamp that 36 Perfect episode. So a 37 from you? Yeah, I'll up it to a 37. I'm going to give it a 37. I love this. I'm also going to give it a 37. Wow, you're great at this. I like a lot of things about this episode. It's a good episode. Yeah. Mostly the dancing. <laughs> cool. Cool. God. Dopeness. Oh I mean, she knows her A.B. Janets. <laughs> this is like a 45 out of 37. It's the second biggest twist. And what would be like... A season-ending twist for any other show, and yeah. they throw it in episode seven, and we're just gonna reset everything. Guess what? Yeah, this is how we do it in the Good Place. It it's really is indicative wild. of the way that the Good Place is willing to like change path, like midway through things, right? Like they're they're we've we've had this whole premise we've been working through up until the halfway mm -hmm. point, but and we'll see this in future seasons as well. They actually have a tendency to sort of halfway through the season make a pretty significant pivot in terms oh, yeah. of what's happening. And this is a big pivot. This really changes the stakes. Yeah. Super dope. So dope. It's good. Uh, freshness. Wait, I didn't give it my dopeness Sorry, rating. Dopeness. It's, it's 37. Fuck. All right. Freshness. Hannah's giving me a death glare. Hey, Jim Jam. Jim Jam. Freshness. Okay. I'm going to give this one a 37. <laughs> I mean, I would give it a 37 just for the scene where Janet is killed. Alone. Oh my God, this scene is so good. Fuck where yeah. she that kill switch is so that, funny that whole kill switch thing where she's like begging for her life and then eleanor and Sheedy can't decide who's gonna do it and then jason shows up um and then janet's like face plant into the sand followed mm. by like a few tense moments and then her image projected into the sky proclaiming i have been murdered it's the way she <laughs> attention when she says it attention I have been murdered. Isn't it delightful? <laughs> it's just the incredibly rapid way that she's able to switch between like, these are my children. Look at them. Like, no, no, no. This is a stuff. <laughs> this, yeah. this episode is the episode that I fell in love with Janet. This, this yeah. specific scene that you're talking about is a tour de force in the same way this whole episode is. Like her fake crying at the start, oh. the dumb Janet as she's rebooting. <laughs> like she's hitting so many different beats flawlessly over the course of 20 minutes like she just lurches from horror 
to comedy to tragedy, like on a dime. Oh, I'm it's just remembering some of the Janet we so get good. later in this season. She does keep going. She keeps getting better. I yeah, mean, this, and is- this is where you see it go to a whole new level, right? Like this resets Janet and she gets wilder just as this is where she starts wilder. to change. Right. Because yeah. now what's the chaos that they're creating in this neighborhood? They're they're literally infecting Janet with it now. So it's going to start to impact her as well. And that's right. where she starts to be a little off. Yeah. Hannah. Yeah. Thirty seven. Thirty seven. Thirty six and a half. All right, smart brained. This episode is so smart. But I would give it like a 25 smart brained, maybe. Yeah, they don't get into, you're right, they don't get into tons of actual like philosophical wisdom or. Like even in the flashback, there's like a brief reference to Kant. And it's like, Kant said line's bad. Yeah. It's like. I mean, it's mostly to make a dig at Kant. Yeah. I feel like in a way, this whole episode is kind of about consequentialism though when Eleanor blames Michael for bringing her to the bad place in the first place Mm -hmm. and therefore it's his fault that all this bad stuff is happening and then with Chidi lying about the boots I mean I have a totally different read of this episode which I'm not going to offer right now thanks you're very welcome but I think it's I like I think it's interesting and significant that we all came away with a different like oh here's what this episode is saying isn't this interesting like again I just think that it that it indicates the way in which the it's writers a really well crafted the writers are smart they're not giving us necessarily new or smart philosophical ideas to tease apart yeah I think that's the distinction. yeah okay I will I make, mean in this oh. entirely invented this entirely invented rating system. I'm gonna still give this episode a thirty seven first. Of first-hand. course you are. <laughs> for smart of ring. course you fucking are. Jesus Christ. Okay, should we do a segment? Yeah, let's do it. I have a segment that I'd like to do. Great, I'm ready. This segment is called Can't Stop Won't Stop. Uh uh-uh, uh uh This is our version of a lightning round. You will be... Lightninged. Lightninged with flashes of questions, both ethical and irreverent. Is this just me? No. It is everyone. Okay, great. There it's everyone. Are, it's all two of us. Art thou ready? Born ready. Yes. Okay. Let's start with Hannah. Yeah. Is lying always wrong? No. Jamie, same question. No. Jamie, were the crystals too much? No. Hannah, same mm-mm, question. Mm-mm. Hannah, give me your best approximation of human crying. <laughs> <laughs> That's we it. We scared all the birds out the window. That's it. That was it. <laughs> Jamie, give me your best approximation of human crying. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry that podcasting is an audio medium because the face was a really good part of that. (laughs) Jamie. Yes. The ability to speak every language in the world or the ability to speak with animals. Oh, every language in the world. Hannah, same question. Aminals. Every language could apply to animal language. No. Uh, Clearly, the terms of the question suggested it didn't. I can interpret things how I want. Uh Lightning round. God, you two. Children. No, my, it's not my fault. Jim Jim keeps being wrong. <laughs> Jim Jams. Hannah, what is the best cereal box mascot? Ooh, uh, 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 Count Chocula. Jim Jams, same question. The Rice Krispie Dudes. What? Snap, Jesus crackle, and pop? Oh, yeah. 
the Rice Krispie that dudes. Was, okay, this is a lightning round. That was literally the only thing I could think of. Fair what enough. else would I say? Sugar I, Bear. Oh, Ooh, good sugar bear is better. answer. There we go. Can't, Can't get, get enough of the sugar crisps. You can never get enough. <laughs> Jim Jams. Uh, Do the ends ever justify the means? Yes. Hannah, same question. Like always. Jamie. Yes. Is there ever such thing as a victimless crime? Yes. Hannah, same question. Mm-hmm. Hannah, in what situations is being a bystander worse? Oh, in so in so many situations. Okay. <laughs> uh, show me so many. <laughs> Ding. Okay, I actually don't think a bystander is being. A, I think in very few. I think it's usually worse. Worse than what? Than doing the crime? It's worse to do the crime. Lightning round. <laughs> yeah. Goddamn. <laughs> just broke. Just broke me. We got there in the end. Jim Jams. Yes. Uh, in what situations is being a bystander worse? I can't think of any. I feel like there probably are situations. I want to come back and talk about this more when we're not doing a lightning okay. round. Okay. Jim Jams. Who was your first celebrity crush? My first celebrity crush? Nev Campbell. Whoa. Ooh. Deep cut. Hannah McGregor. Oh, this is going to be deeper. Cole Wilkinson. Jesus. <laughs> you too. I love this show. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Hannah, final question. Why do bad things always happen to mediocre people who are lying about their identity? <laughs> uh, because they invite them by being mediocre in line. Oh, yeah. Jam yeah. Jam, same question. I would say because that describes almost everyone. And <laughs> Bad things uh, have got to happen like to it. someone, so. That is the end of can't stop, won't stop. We've uh-uh, stopped. Uh-uh. Um, this episode is all about a nice little lie in the form of social niceties, uh-huh. as Cheaty once said. He once again invokes our BFF, Emmanuel Kant, to reiterate to Eleanor that lying is always morally wrong. Kant, described as a lonely, obsessive hermit with zero friends. <laughs> uh, Context. Mean, that, that paints a sad picture. I think it's a significant line, though. Absolutely. And, I mean, Chidi then later repeats yet again that, like, we weren't truthful. Like, he's really harping on that all episode long, uh, especially given that Michael's taking the fall for all the chaos, right? So here's where I want to start. To what extent does hiding a truth constitute lying in... I mean, I think that's different in the the rules that the show has given us than it is in real life. But to like you two as human beings, to what extent does hiding a truth constitute lying? Would this include like lying by omission? Yeah, I think that's the yeah. same thing. Yeah. yeah okay. I, I don't think that they're there. When I think about how I categorize lies in my own life, the question of overt lies to somebody's face versus lying by omission is a lot less significant for me than the question of the impact and motivation of the lies. So I think a malevolent or harmful lie by omission is every bit as bad as a malevolent or harmful lie said to somebody's face. Mm. I think what matters is the other stuff around the lie, right? So am I depriving somebody of information that 
they need information that would help them like influence some important decision or the way that they're going about their life yeah Yeah. absolutely like am i not telling people the truth because i don't like the idea of what they would do with that information like am i using it to control people to manipulate people lies by omission are used all the time to abuse people to keep people in abusive situations to control populations to right like when you look at sort of higher levels the way lies are used like lies are used to abuse and harm all the time and that includes in interpersonal relationships like abusive relationships are full of lies um and i think in that case lying to somebody's face or lying by withholding information are equally harmful the nature of the lie is less relevant than the significance of the the deception or the the result of either the omission or the deception or the lying out yeah yeah and that's what i know we were joking about the ends and the means but like for me it's kind of um rather than ends means it's like intention versus impact i'm much less interested in Mm. the intention of your lie than i am in what it actually does to people yeah, I think those are kind of two sides or two different ways to to understand, uh, you know, these types of things, whether it's an outright lie or a lie of omission, right? Mm-hmm. It does come down to, as we've kind of, I think mostly Hannah's talked about before, the, the idea of like doing harm as a way of interpreting what is good or less good in the way we live our lives. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of this. lies are deeply selfish, right? A lot of the time people lie to get what they want Eleanor's lies are deeply selfish like she is lying she is harming people she knows she's harming people she is lying to get what she wants Chidi's lie was harmless Chidi's lie hurt nobody it made his friend feel better it made his friend feel happy it literally didn't hurt anybody except Chidi himself and it only hurt Chidi because Chidi is attached to Um, objective and unrealistic notions of moral purity right i do like how this episode gave us like a perfect example of a lie with essentially no consequences or under normal circumstances there would be no consequences because that really does force you to ask these questions then like is it okay like in this situation would you want to know that your friend hated your shoes even though you love them or would you rather just think that everyone loves them (laughs) it's such a great example that they choose because it really is one where there are zero stakes except for Chidi's sense of self and so what he ends up doing is deciding that his subjective opinion of a friend's clothing matters more than that friend's feelings because he's so attached to the idea of his subjective experience of the world being so valuable being like the rubric of morality and it it, I think it becomes really clear in this episode how selfish that kind of attachment to morality can be he's trying very hard to be a good person and in a lot of ways he makes him become a bad friend yeah i mean that's why everybody hates moral philosophers yes yeah okay but going back to what you were saying though i feel like in this particular situation like i agree with what you said about chidi but in this situation i don't feel like he's sort of exerting the importance of his own opinion over his friend's happiness because his friend asked him specifically do you like them and then he told the lie and he that's where the conflict comes in he's it's just because he said a lie not because his opinion is so important the lie that he said was about his opinion it wasn't about a true fact 
Right. Like, it wasn't about a real thing. Mm -hmm. Your opinion's not a real... Like, I personally think those boots are ugly is not the same as, like... Yeah, I, I agree. But, I mean, like, if his friend had not asked for his opinion, he would not be lying in bed awake being like, oh, I didn't tell him how ugly they are. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But it's still, like, surely we have all many many times in our life been like yeah you know i love that shirt oh yeah for sure and it's not i don't feel like oh i'm lying to you in that moment i feel like i know how to respond to a human being in a compassionate way yeah there's a threshold with which we can maybe misrepresent our true deep down feelings for the sake of social niceties like is mentioned in the episode Mm -hmm. and i think that's a fundamental thing that we have to reconcile with and practice as we go through life i mean this is a a theme in that really fucking long proust novel that no one reads that i like and people i love research de temps perdu yeah cool one of the recurring themes in that book is the the necessity to balance the things that you could say to other people about them and the need to restrain yourself so that you can continue to exist around them as friends and it's different for different people but it's discussed in the terms of friendships and there's a kind of constant negotiation that you need to kind of work through and police yourself so that you can exist as a social person in society it's it's about negotiating the things that i could or should say about the true nature of others but doing so in a way that is restrained enough so that I can still be around those other people that I want to. That's interesting. I've never read the books and all I knew was the cookie thing. Um, <laughs> this is really long. It's a cookie thing. There's still in that it's like, you know, do I, do I say the true nature of others? Which is like, well, you don't fucking know the true nature of others. You know what you can see. You know your perception of them. You know your opinion on them. Yeah. Right? Like and you, it's negotiating we all... your compulsion to be as full and forthright with other people as you could. But yeah. you don't need to be because we all think bad things about others and ourselves. Yeah. That idea that your sense of self and honesty and perspective should matter equally to the like well-being of the people around you it just it's like foreign to me like I can't wrap my head around that notion of like authenticity or integrity it just seems like fancy philosophical justification for being an asshole yeah I mean in, in some ways this is you know similar to what Eleanor sucks at in life like <laughs> in some ways this is just Chidi being real selfish yeah and needing to say the thing that he wants to say at the expense of someone else and he's trying to later in life police or help Eleanor become less selfish, but he's less able to reconcile that within himself. Yep. Yeah, he is not self-reflexive about his own selfishness at this point. But no. like that is, you know, it's it's useful remembering that while at this point the show is framed such that Chidi is a good person in the good place and Eleanor is a bad person, we actually know Chidi is also in the bad place. What? I know. Spoilers. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. I'm sure we could all find examples of situations in which lying by omission would be considered ethical. But for us as human beings going through the world, like, what are the ethical rules we should strive to abide by when we find ourselves in these situations? I don't think there are any concrete rules. I think, what is this? Eleanor talks about this maybe not in season one. 
but moral particularism. Please say more about that. So it's basically like assessing a situation as it comes, knowing that like lying is not always bad. You have to assess the situation. Yeah. Yeah. So um, a, a distinction that I find useful, even though it is kind of an arbitrary decision that's been invented by philosophers rather than a originary distinction is the distinction between morals and ethics mm. um which is like the reason why there's those two different words it's actually i think because one comes from the latin and one comes from the greek like they're not they actually sort of mean the same thing but yeah. they're distinguished sometimes in philosophy along the lines of essentially morals are a set of rules that you have to follow uh-huh. um whereas ethics is a framework you use to make choices but it doesn't give you a clear answer for what you'll do in the moment you have to make particular decisions in that moment based on the complexities of context particular yeah yeah so it's it's a bit moral particularism suggests like rules but the rules change from case to case Mm -hmm. right whereas ethics is like well there are actually no rules at all um but there's values there's things that you care about, right? right? And so then you have things like, you know, an ethics of care, for example, which yep. we've talked about in the podcast before, which is if my primary good is care for others and the well-being of others, then that's going to inform the decision I make in the moment, right? That seems much more doable for me as a person in terms of having figuring out my own kind of ethical framework or how I'm going to make sense of the rest of my life as I navigate my way through it, an ethics of care Mm -hmm. seems easier than, you know, something like don't tell any lies. Lies are always wrong. And that's how I determine my decisions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That seems not necessarily harder, but more messy or problematic. I Trying to go through life that way would worry me. I feel like Chidi's way of thinking also just implies that everybody is the same. Like everybody thinks the same way, wants the same things, is comfortable with the same things. And that's not true. So it doesn't leave any room for like individuality. That's because Kant is an enlightenment thinker. And enlightenment thinkers believed that the only subjectivity that existed was the subjectivity of white European men. Right. But it's also because philosophers like Kant were trying to come up with moral models that could be used to run society. Yeah. Because the Enlightenment is post the fall of the divine right of kings when society was run based on the notion that the monarch was the representative of God on earth and had absolute right to rule right. and yeah and so in in the absence of the divine right of kings how do we make decisions about how our societies are going to be run so kant's idea never lie is based on the categorical imperative which is you essentially you can't do anything if okay when you're tr- making a decision you have to ask yourself if the thing that i did became a rule that applied to everybody in my society would that society function so if the rule was lying is always fine mm-hmm. and that was a rule that applied to everyone <laughs> in the society obviously society would crumble so the yes. rule has to be lines not okay yes and you need those kinds of clear models when you're thinking about you know how are we going to run a society absolutely and they need to be a little bit more strict because it's about running a whole society rather than one person navigating their way through life. Where yeah, going. like you want, you need, you need, you seem to need some rules for all intents and purposes. You seem to need some rules and some, some values, or at least 
And I'm not sure, like, I, even in my head as I'm saying that, I'm, like, actually not sure if I believe that. But at least that's what that's what Kant thought. Um, yeah, that's what was going on at the time and where this school yeah. of thought originated from. That's what the, That was the world in which they were living and what they were grappling with and what was informing the development of their ethics, of Kant's ethics. Yeah. Also, side note, that was one of the best explanations of the categorical imperative I've ever heard. Because I struggled like to do it. It's five hard. false starts. There were a few false starts because oh, it's really it's fucking hard. tricky. But, like, compare that to, you know, an ethics of care. It's like, okay, could a large, complex civilization function if an ethics of care was its premise like maybe smaller societies yes but in larger civilizations like is that does that work or is it too messy let's try it and find out and too nuanced and admits too much possibility for abuse like it's hard it, you know it's i actually think it would be interesting to see if we could run societies on ethics rather than rules but you know that that for me is the important distinction and and helps me to understand where Chidi is coming from and why ultimately what he's doing in the bad place, right? Which is that he has tried to turn the world into a series of rules and it's made him a really selfish person. It's made him a really self-involved, unflexible person who cares more about his abstract systems than he cares about his impact on the people around him. And I think the flaw is that there's exceptions to every rule yeah and that's where he keeps breaking down and stumbling is he assumes that these are perfect systems that can be applied everywhere and i think history and this show has proven that it doesn't quite work that way yeah actually none of his beautiful moral philosophy systems actually work when you get into the messiness and complexity of the or, world. or or apply them absolutely across the board yeah yeah and i mean maybe that's why there are so many of them to begin with yeah, none of them's can, perfect, and so none of them's ideal. Yeah. yeah, you need. Yeah, that's probably. But I just exactly wonder why it. he's so latched on to like one particular one when, as a moral philosophy professor, he's obviously aware of the others. But he's not, right? He's constantly bouncing back and forth between them, and we see moments in which he's like, "Well, from this perspective, this is the right thing," but this person would say this was the right thing, but this other person would say this is the right thing, and then he gets stuck, right? Because yeah. he wants one perfect system and ironically the very field that he studies you know there is no one perfect system dun, dun, dun. um i have like a whole interpretation of this episode i want to introduce but i want to do a fun segment first and so i'm going to introduce a fun segment okay is this a new segment new segment oh damn dun, oh, that's dun, not where I <laughs> take it away hannah this new segment is called three birds I'm going to give you three problems and you have to come up with a single solution. Oh my God. Yes. Solve all of them. Okay. Are you ready? The answer is murder. (laughs) One. Problem one is you have a noisy neighbor. Yeah. Problem two is you have athlete's foot. (laughs) Problem three is you have a constant sense of existential dread. We have to solve all of these Three birds. with one stone. Uh, get one of those foot massaging bathtub thingies mm-hmm. because the noise will drown out your neighbors. Mm-hmm. It will calm you and make you feel better and it might help your athletes. Fight. Oh, you're fucking great at this game. Yeah. Um, create a game or competition, perhaps like a betting pool with stakes and odds in which your goal is to st- Steal your neighbor's shoes. 
and then you are scored based on the type of shoes you are able to steal and how quickly you can steal new pairs after he purchases them because the last ones were stolen. And so you will not stop the noise. <laughs> you will get vengeance for the noise, get new shoes for your stinky, gross feet, and create purpose for your life. Neither of you did a great job of solving the athlete's foot problem. <laughs> okay, but... there's like medicated shit you can put in yeah, water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll clear up your athlete's foot, yeah, yeah, yeah. no problem yeah, yeah, yeah. on the doctor. Yeah. Okay, scenario two. Yes. You forgot your lunch at home. Beetles keep eating your tomato plants. And your mother never loved you. Um, mm, oh, uh, okay. Mail my mother the dead tomato plants because they're a metaphor for our dead relationship. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Eat the beetles I take off the plant before oh, I mail them because you can't mail a live animal as far as I believe, like the last time I checked the laws. So then I'll eat the beetles for lunch, mail the dead plant because it's dead. I can't have use for it. Maybe with like a really cryptic note. I feel like that's kind of two solutions. It's pretty close. To and one, one of them is also the problem because you forgot your lunch at home. So if your lunch is the beetles, you forgot them at home. You did forget your Beatles. Okay. You, well, you fucking solve this. I'll think of a better uh, Suicide's one. not a good answer. Okay. I went I, first. A suicide, I feel like, is the best answer, but I'm going to think of a better one. Um, okay. So what is it? Your your mom, you didn't have a good relationship with your mom. Specifically, she never loved you. Your mom never loved you. You forgot your lunch at home. Beatles are eating your tomato plants. Yep. Um, you are going to hire an exterminator who will be the mother figure that you never had and will bring you your lunch. Oh, three birds. That was good. <laughs> All right, final Wait, scenario. that didn't solve the dead tomato plant. It solved the beetle problem. Uh, yeah, I guess you're right. Exterminator. Ugh. I have a perfect score at this game so far. Third f- and final scenario. Oh, I hate losing. One, you lost your favorite socks. Hannah, I just said I hate losing. Don't take away Two, my favorite socks. you have a newly acquired allergy to gluten. And three... Systemic racism. Use white bread as a full body sock. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Jim Jim's wins. This has been Three Birds. Oh, I like that segment. (laughs) Jamie's really good at that one. You're really good at it. Oh, wow. Wow, wow, wow. All right, can I tell you about my interpretation of the episode? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, break it down for us. What's right. actually going on? Because we here... missed it. No, no, no. It's not that. It's just, it's just that the episode opened out some interesting things. Okay. Who here is familiar with the uh, unstable relationship between Signified and Signifier? I am. I am not. Okay. So, um, a Signifier is a word, and a Signified is the thing that word refers to. Okay. And while the way that language and representation and communication works, we treat them as the same. So we treat the word chair as though it clearly and transparently represents a chair. But obviously, the word chair is 100% arbitrary and has nothing to do with the thing itself. Okay. So that understanding that while we like to collapse signified and signifier together, that in fact there is a big space between them a big space of instability between the reality of the world and our capacity to represent the world, we start to understand 
that the way that we represent things actually has nothing to do with the things things themselves. Can I ask for some clarification? Yes. You said that a signifier is a is a word. Yep. And then the signified is the thing that describes the word. No, the thing itself. So okay, sorry. So the yeah. thing the signified is the thing itself. So yep. the chair is the thing, and then the word chair is the signifier. Okay, Correct. yeah, I got you. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So everything is arbitrary. Everything is arbitrary, particularly representation and language and interpretation, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. Our capacity to to know and describe the world. So right at the beginning of this episode, there's this amazing moment that really powerfully introduces the instability of signifiers. And that is Michael offering an alternate interpretation of all of the events of the season that have happened thus far, all of which strongly point to him being the problem. And it is a totally reasonable interpretation of all of the events that makes sense. Right. Right? Yeah. So yeah. yeah, I'm with you. While we have been encouraged thus far to treat the sort of outsized ridiculous events that have been happening in the neighborhood as a transparent sign of Eleanor being the problem, Michael's interpretation, while we know that it is false and that mm-hmm. he is inventing it to mm-hmm. manipulate her demonstrates to us in that moment that there is no inherent relationship between what has been happening and Eleanor's behavior because it could every bit as easily have been Michael. Yes. This relates to something that I wrote down also. Great. So in that moment, it becomes clear to us that what is actually happening in the neighborhood is not in itself meaningful, right? We have no idea. It doesn't It doesn't have any inherent or obvious significance. And by extension, we can then think about how the version of the neighborhood that we've been offered is one in which in the afterlife, um, signified and signifier collapse together perfectly, right? Via a sort of perfect interpretation system, which is the point system. So that's what we're being told right. is yes. the case in this afterlife. Yeah. That that while our actions and their values have been unstably related while alive, here in the afterlife, they're stably related to one another in this sort of one-to-one, like things are good or they're bad. You get plus points or you get minus points. Things mean what they mean. Yes. But in that moment, when Michael reveals to us the arbitrariness of everything that is happening in the neighborhood itself, he introduces the fact that this afterlife is also constructed and arbitrary and that we have not now entered into a space where things are stable and mean what they mean, but that we're still in a space where interpretation is required. Is that reading only possible having finished the first season and then rewatching the episode? Yo, I think it's only possible rewatching. Yeah, it's only yeah. You, yeah. you have to know the end game to be able to read it in this yeah. this, this way. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it foreshadows a lot of what's going to happen in the show moving forward, right? As totally. the show yeah. increasingly challenges us to think about the status of this afterlife. Yes. Um, but it, I think it's a really central moment as we're thinking about how the show is representing, you know the reality of what is happening here yes so i made a note about how when eleanor confesses saying that she's the problem in the neighborhood Mm -hmm. like she actually has no way of knowing that yeah so it's just an interpretation it's just it's her interpretation like the show has led us the viewers to believe that that is the case at this point but the truth is that like she is in 
like a different dimension. She does not know the rules of this world. She's very new there. So she really like knows nothing. And mm-hmm. Michael does offer another explanation where like it's his fault. And she's just like, no, it's actually my fault. And then so reading it from the perspective that Hannah was, yeah. we then also know that Eleanor is not the problem. She's mm-hmm. not the problem. It's actually Michael. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's who has been gaslighting her this entire yeah. time. Yeah. And the yeah. other four. But her most explicitly. She's the one who's getting like, he's turning the screw on Eleanor specifically right now. But so what is real? What do we know is actually real here is the people and their feelings and their relationships to one another. And that's what's really interesting about Eleanor's decision to say it was me. She doesn't really say it was me because she thinks it's the right thing to do or because she learned an important lesson about lying and why it's wrong. She says it because Chidi is upset and she loves him. Yeah, she sees mm. him in agony. Yeah. It's because of that. It's yeah. not. Uh, it, this is the first thing she's done that's not inherently selfish. It's not selfish, but it's also not based on some, you know, Kantian ideal version of morality, right. nor is it based on her having really internalized some sense that she's a bad person and she's causing all of this stuff. That doesn't really matter to her either. No, no. She's been told from episode one that this is what she should do. Yeah. And though she does it, that's not why she does it at no, all. No, she does it for Chidi. And that, like... As the world around these characters remains un- so unstable, right? Like the status of reality around them is so unstable. Um, you know, they're getting, they're in this fantastical world. They're getting manipulated. We're constantly being introduced to new information that further complicates sort of what we know about yep. the world. Yep. The show's basically saying, well, we can know absolutely nothing about the world. Like we really can't. We have interpretation and we have language and we have ideas, but ultimately, we know fucking nothing. The things what that, we know is our relationships with other people. Yeah. And the things that happen to us, even the three of us right now and through the next days and weeks, are just as arbitrary or random as the things that Michael and his demon minions decide to throw at the group just to fuck with them. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not con- predictable or controllable or and there's no stable meaningful interpretation right so when you try to ask questions like why do bad things happen to good people it's like well there's no answer to that because bad things doesn't mean anything and good people doesn't mean anything like that's just that you know the world's much too unstable for that chaotic there's not a system or an order underlying why these things are happening and if I'd just done something different, the outcome would have been changed. But what's real, and this is the foundational principle of ethics. Ethics is about relationships. Ethics is not about some abstract theory of the world. It's about what is my obligation to you? To in, in the moment when I come face to face with the other, what is my obligation to them? And that's what Eleanor's really grappling with, right? It's not some abstract notion of what the world is like and what's right and wrong. It's she has come face to face with another person and she cares about how her actions impact them. And so she is making an ethical decision in that moment. What do we owe to each other? What do we owe to each other? That's exactly it. Yeah. Way to bring it home, Jim Jams. Do you want to do, do some advice? Time? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah? yeah. Are you ready, James? For advice? Yeah. Sure. No, to give advice. Oh, yeah. Jamie, Jim Jams loves giving advice. Yeah. I'll give advice. You ready? Yeah. You, you, you ought to know. This is You Ought to Know, a podcast within a podcast where- Within a podcast, within a podcast. Where our 
loyal and beautiful listeners email us their ethical conundrums and we read them and laugh and tell them to do crimes more often than not uh sometimes we help them usually it's just jokes and crime um are you ready to change the world jim jams and hannah yeah let's do some crime i mean support some crime let's okay. let's do both all right let's uh let's dish out some advice our first email comes from janet in salt lake city Ooh, i janet. don't know why janet. i'm talking like this not a girl Janet says, while negotiating the sale of his share of a small shawarma restaurant to a friend of his, my husband learned that a famous shawarma chain is opening a branch near the restaurant. My husband fears that if he shares this information, his friend will back out of the deal. But without the money from the sale, we may not be able to pay off our mortgage. I don't want to lose our house, but it feels wrong to withhold this information. What do we do? So the husband is selling some shares of an ongoing business to a friend. Yes. So basically getting a friend to go into business with him. I think to get out of business. Like the he's selling take his it over. shares to he's a friend. He's all of selling yeah. all of his shares. He's getting out of I the business. I think he's getting out of a business. A friend's getting in, but a rival bigger business is coming in around so the same time. So his friend might not be willing to go in. Is this insider trading? I don't ever know what insider trading is. This feels a little insider trading. Do you know to what insider trading is? Without actually knowing what or insider you just trading like is. Insider trading. <laughs> this is not insider trading. What's okay. insider trading? Insider trading means that you have received like confidential information about a business that allows you to make uh, advanced decisions in terms of the buying or selling of stocks. I guess it's not yeah. confidential information that yeah. they're opening a store. Okay, so it's it is insider trading, just just not. <laughs> So how do we help Janet Zing. and her husband with this um, instance of not insider trading? I mean, so you've described the person as a friend. If they are actually your friend and you actually care about the impact of your decisions on them, you would not do this. Because if you think there is a realistic chance that this will actually devalue the business, then mm. this is... If not insider training, certainly like entrapment. <laughs> like, it's if you care about this person at all, it's a really shitty thing to do. Okay, counterpoint. Crime. Crime. Do you shout crime? Crime is the solution here. Okay. Sabotage the competitor's oh my God. building or you like shouldn't their have mentioned crime. ability now gonna... to buy this space. They can't move in. Your friend takes over the shawarma place. Everyone's good. I mean, you could... And it's like a big chain, you said. So that's like a big corporation. And we already verified earlier that corporations are... You can crime corporations. You can crime... You can verified. You can crime corporations. Um, I mean, like, there might be options like, can you get the, like independent business association together to try to fight to keep this big right. chain out like yep but i think what you do is you go to your friend and you say like i still really want to make the sale i have this information let's talk about ways that we can keep Sabotage. this from impacting the business yeah like what do we do yeah i feel like what's going on here is janet and or her husband not yet perhaps realizing that this isn't her problem it is their shared problem yeah that they should uh, understand and approach together yeah communication is and key crime the two crime and communication the two c's <laughs> two c's crime and communication <laughs> oh the gosh. three c's crime <laughs> communication and chips coming 
<laughs> the spice? Come yeah. In. Often deployed in shawarmas. Uh-huh. I love deploying spices. <laughs> Deploy. <laughs> Deploy spices. <laughs> okay, we've got another email. This one's from Tegan in Mississauga. Tegan says, Our will stipulates that if my husband and I die, our daughter will be cared for by some longtime friends who have welcomed the idea. Since making this plan, we have learned that they feel different from us about money. They like living large and have no qualms about accumulating debt, and we no longer want them to raise our daughter. Instead, we would now like a nephew of ours and his wife to do so. If we tell our friends, it will hurt them, but if we don't, they may ultimately receive quite a shock if they one day find a note added to our new will. Do we have to tell them that we're changing our plans? What's the ethical thing to do here? Nah, don't tell them. Yeah, don't tell them and just hope that you don't die. And then no one finds out. I mean, the likelihood of you both dying is really low. This is a worst case scenario situation. Just travel in different cars. Um, Make sure that you have a super watertight will. Yeah. And that that's all really well set up and that your kid will get taken care of. And uh, honestly, I think if you die and your friends are primarily concerned about like how that makes <laughs> we want to keep their baby yeah then, give me their baby yeah like if there are decent people they'll honor your wishes whatever yeah tegan just do what you want <laughs> just remember the three c's <laughs> crime coming what's the other one communication, communication. <laughs> crime one. communication coming <laughs> Okay, uh, we got one more. This one was my favorite one. I like this one when I got this email. Well, now you're making the other two emailers feel bad for not being your favorite. I'm allowed to have favorites. <gasps> Is it ethical to announce your favorites on the show? On live broadcast? <laughs> in Hollywood? <laughs> Here in Hollywood on the soundstage? Clip, clop, clip, clop. Oh, a horse. <laughs> Why is there a horse on the soundstage? Stunts? Hollywood, Hollywood magic. <laughs> Okay, this one is from Mike in Hollywood. No, this one's from Mike in Chicago. Mike says, I went to see a movie with my dad the other day. On the train to the theater, he asked how high school was going. And during the conversation, I admitted that I cheated on a math test. I didn't plan it, but another student's booklet fell on the floor when he got up to use the washroom, and I just happened to see the formula and answer on the page when it landed. My dad gave me a bit of a hard time, and I felt bad even though it kind of just happened. I didn't mean it to. But then, at the automated movie theater kiosk, I saw my dad pay for a 13 and under child ticket, even though I'm 17, and a senior ticket for himself, even though he's only 49. On the way home from the movie, I asked him why it was okay to cheat the theater out of money, but not cheat on my math quiz. He said that it's okay to lie as long as nobody gets hurt. Did I hurt anyone by cheating? Did he hurt anyone by lying? Who's right and who's wrong here? Everybody's fine. Everybody needs to calm down. (laughs) All right. Here's, okay, so let's think about the consequences. Uh, The fucking corporation is fine. The worst case scenario of your dad stealing his tickets is that he gets ID'd and gets embarrassed right yeah. so he's taking on risk himself but like ripping off a corporation whatever fuck them i mean we assume it's a corporation. yeah it could be a mom and pop video <laughs> there, there are little independent theaters yeah, but you're, ultimately you're going to be going to like scotia bank theater yeah or if you're so. at a, a cineplex do it if you're yeah. at an indie theater don't 
But, like, go ahead and steal from Zeniplex. They are stealing from you. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> any theater that has the automated kiosk thing has enough money that you can pay for a child when you're Yeah. A, I mean, the, reason, the only reason I wouldn't do that is because they sometimes they look at your tickets when you're ripping them and they'll ID you when they rip your tickets. Right. But, like, that's not an ethics thing. That's an embarrassment thing. Because what you would do is go, like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I pressed the wrong button. Oh, no. I oh. thought it was cheaper. Oops. I did it again. Oops. The consequences of cheating are that you do not learn the thing that you were supposed to learn. But it's math, so that doesn't really matter. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) These are both fun. Yeah, Yeah, I feel like no one's hurt in either case, really, whether one is right or wrong. Like when you cheat, you're hurting yourself. You're cheating yourself out of an education. But again, it's math. Yeah, and this also seems like an incidental like both of these seem like a a kind of middle gray area right he wasn't writing all the answers on a piece of paper and hiding it in his shoe he accidentally saw an answer the dad didn't sneak them into the theater he just paid a little less than he should have yeah right no one was really hurt and it wasn't even that bad they both kind of did the equivalent of lying by omission yeah kind of yeah yeah no way you could you would look at it like that I'll I'll allow that. Yeah, I mean, they're both examples of things that the categorical imperative would say didn't fly. Because if those became rules, like, everybody gets to look at everybody else's answers on the test. Mm -hmm. And everybody gets... To just pay whatever they want at the theater. To pay whatever they want at the theater. But, like, even as I'm saying this, I'm like, okay, would society crumble if everybody paid 13 instead of $17 at the theater? No. It'd be fine. Yeah, because Cineplex does not need to be making that amount of profit. They'd be fine. It'd be real fine. And would society crumble if we found better, more rigorous ways to evaluate learning than arbitrary tests? No, it'd be better. Would be better. Probably it would be better without tests. So you're fine. Yeah, I think the only problem here is the double standard from your dad. So sit him down, explain the birds and the bees, and tell him to get his shit together. Yeah, communication. Communication come condors. Yep. yep. Crime. Crime. That has been. This has been. You ought to know. That was. That was. Was. Did. <laughs> that was. You <laughs> did know that. <laughs> I've got a cat on my lap. Ooh. <gasps> Look at that kitty. What do you have to say, kitty? Meow. There's one other thing this episode made me think about that I want to talk about, and that's ceremony. Um, it's not about ethics or being a good person. I just noticed in this episode that there are a bunch of different types of ceremonies. There's a retirement party. There's a funeral. There is a beautifully staged murder. That's not a ceremony. But it made me think about... Murder the... is absolutely a ceremony. It's the oldest ritual. Also, gifting is a ceremony. Was there gifting? I mean, this boots. It was not a ceremony, but I'm arguing sure. for the no, sake well, of this I, I that mean, it the, was a ceremony. No, and I, I like all of those because I think like the role of ceremony in human experience, births, anniversaries, weddings, etc. are absent from the lives of more and more people that I spend time with because of the way we choose to live our life. We're marrying less. We're being more gay. But the ceremonies <laughs> and the things that result of them, like the mementos, the rituals, the sharing, the community are important Mm. for everyone. There's this really great line in Sarah Ahmed's uh, Living a Feminist Life where she is talking about a feminist killjoy survival kit, the things that a feminist killjoy needs to survive. And she talks, uh, one of the things feminist 
killjoys need are feminist things um and she talks about the way that living uh heterosexual reproductive lifestyles surrounds you with um particular kinds of things anniversary photos uh you know like the just the shit that you get when you get married and have kids and like accrue all of yeah, this. Yeah, the memories, the yeah, mementos, the gifts. Also the... other heterosexuals. Also other, other heterosexuals. Like, right, but you you have all of these parties, all of these showers where like you just get given all of this stuff. And and her point is that uh, people who are not living those lives also get to surround themselves with things and that you, you curate and choose your things otherwise. And I feel the same way about ritual and ceremony, that we still all need that in our lives. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And so we get, instead of being deprived of things, we get to make a more deliberate set of decisions around what we want to celebrate and how. Yeah. So what would that look like? Or what does that already look like? And maybe I'm just not paying enough attention to it. Like, I think the neat thing about it is there probably are examples of those types of things that exist in my life. And maybe we just make less of a big deal about it as we would an anniversary or a birth or something else. Right. Like my favorite example is my friend Dina's book launches. Dina, because her books are her babies. Uh, in a totally non-gross way just like she doesn't have kids but she's published a lot of books she throws really incredible book launches that are like cool awesome parties that all of her friends come to Uh, her last book launch was at Shenanigans which is her fave hangout it's a really for those of you not in Vancouver it's a really incredible dive bar that it's somehow managing to survive in a neighborhood that like should not be possible for it to survive in. Yeah, I don't know. And her book launch included um, a musical number, game show, a short reading from the book. Like it was a whole, it was like this amazing staged event. And there were like a hundred people there. And like, you know, she made it into a big special thing. And, you know, I have other friends who are like, book launches for me, I treat them the way i would a wedding there is a big cake i buy a real fancy dress like right. so so you choose. i mean that's just the example that comes to mind because I'm, my friends are authors but like you know you choose something in your life that feels significant like have a fucking album release party and make yeah. it big yeah or host a big special annual potluck that has a sailor moon theme or something yeah invent a holiday and celebrate it with increasing extravagance and hilarity every year. Yeah, and I feel like parts of what maybe I already do get at bits of that. And maybe I just, I've been thinking more about it. Maybe I just want to make it or should make it more intentional. What about also like small personal ceremonies? You mean jerking off? I mean, that could be one. It is, would be a really adorable euphemism. Excuse me, I have to go perform a small personal <laughs> ceremony. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Go right. light some candles mm. But I just mean like Secret of <laughs> ring of salt <laughs> Sorry I didn't answer the phone I was performing a small personal ceremony <laughs> uh, is there something In my pants <laughs> Sorry okay. you were I forget what I was going to say One next. of the three C's um, Crime <laughs> Nope not that one uh, <laughs> um, So wait we're talking about ceremonies Yeah smaller small personal cer- ceremonies yeah. So, Okay so we have like fewer big ceremonies that we celebrate with lots of people but i feel like i don't know for me like breakfast is kind of a ceremony Ugh. no okay <laughs> okay we're moving on to our last segment i'm <laughs> <laughs> kidding continue keep going okay so like when i have school or work 
I have to leave really early and I don't really have time to eat anything. I just like chug a smoothie and I'm out the door. So on days when I don't have to be anywhere early, it's like... Do you just... make the smoothie the morning, the night before? No, I make it... It takes like two minutes to make a smoothie. I oh just do God, it. It's too, it takes too much time. Okay. I mean, you're right. I should streamline it a little bit. But no, no, it's fine. If you've got the time to make a smoothie, I'm just jealous of the fact that you have time to make a smoothie. <laughs> oh, okay. So I'm like talking about how I have no time and you're like, you have so much time. Oh my time. God, so much time. Smoothie time? Okay. Ugh, I'm sorry. Smoothie the time. Hashtag smoothie time. The point I do of this- spend half an hour putting makeup on everything. Oh, okay. See, so I don't priorities. do that at all. Yeah. Also, my point is not, I have no time. It's just that I don't have enough time to like sit and eat breakfast. So when yeah. I do have time to sit and eat breakfast, it feels like a special, special treat where I like sit down, I'll have coffee, I'll have toast, and then I'll like read a comic book. And it feels great. Yeah, that is great. You can absolutely carve out small, significant parts of your life all the time. Yeah. That's totally a thing you can do. Also jerking off. Also jerking off. <laughs> <laughs> all right. This is Ben. <laughs> ben. No, I'm just kidding. We have one more segment to do. This is You Learn, a segment in which Hannah and our esteemed guest offer one thing for you, our lovely listeners, to read or do or think about or eat or jerk off to <laughs> to help you be a better person or live a better life. Consider this our gift to you for putting up with us for the past however long this episode was. As always, we start with the guest, Jim Jams. Okay, so I can just offer like a piece of advice to live by. Yeah. Okay, that's great because I thought of this earlier and we kind of touched on it or I felt like we touched on things that relate to it so much in this episode. So my thing, I feel like in order to be a good person or like a functioning person in a healthy society, you need self-awareness. Self-awareness is like very, I feel like it's a very broad term encompassing lots of things, Mm -hmm. but I wanted to talk about one specific aspect of it. The dictionary defines self-awareness. The words self (laughs) and awareness. (laughs) Both are Latin in origin. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, continue. Okay, so self-awareness, I basically think of it as like being aware of yourself and the effect that you have on the people around you and your surroundings. Um, and I feel like a lot of people in this world lack that. Um, <laughs> I thought you were going to say a lot of people in this room. <laughs> I, I mean, mean, he pointed at me with his pen. <laughs> I pointed at both that. of you. I did You I did really this. did. You did that. <laughs> well, I feel like a lot of people in this world <laughs> I mean, lack that. It wasn't a conscious decision, but you're right. It did happen. You really so. did. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you that can't see us on this Hollywood soundstage, two spotlights have just illuminated Hannah and I where we are sitting. Uh, so wow. we're literally. Wow. Literally in the hot seat because the spotlights made our seats hot. So like we kind of got into this a little bit with like Cheaty and how he thinks he's being a great person by strictly upholding these rules, but he lacks the self-awareness to realize that he is destroying the lives of those around him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forget his name. The guy, the last letter that we did. Mike. Mike's dad was like willing to jump down his throat about doing something wrong and then totally oblivious to the fact that he was also doing something wrong and being kind of a hypocrite. Yes. So one specific thing to think about when it comes to self-awareness is the fact that you can always be wrong. 
And I feel like this is something that people do not think of enough. People speak in absolutes all the time, which can be very harmful to those around them without even realizing it. Mm -hmm. People just need to realize that no matter what the topic, no matter how much you think you know about something, there is the possibility that you could be wrong. And so you should be willing to listen to others and just open yourself up to the idea of another perspective. Be humble. Be humble. Even if you don't necessarily agree with someone or have the same experience as them, that does not mean that their experience or their understanding or their thoughts aren't legitimate. Yeah, that's great. So, Hannah, would you like to uh, offer something to our listeners? My recommendation today is to read poetry. Uh, Most people who are not poets or being forced in this context of a classroom to read poetry do not read poetry recreationally. Even people who are avid, passionate readers do not read poetry. But poetry is remarkable. It is very pleasing to read. It really, it's like a heightened example of what language can do. And so if you love a beautiful sentence, you will love poetry because it's composed almost entirely of beautiful sentences. Some of my favorite books I've read over the past few years have been poetry And I think that people are afraid of it and think that it is hard or that it is only for people who are trained to read it. But it's not any harder than any other kind of book. And you should read poetry. If you feel intimidated by just picking up some poetry, a great first step is to find a poetry reading happening in your city and go to it. Because hearing people read their poems can really help you understand what's going on in them. Beautiful. Poetry. Poetry. Come in. This episode is fucking great. <laughs> Thank you to Jim Jams. Thank you to Shout Out 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 for letting us use their song Bad Choices off the album Reintegration Time. Thank you for emailing us if you want to get some advice next season. Uh, give us a shout. Help at badchoices.ca is our email. If you don't want to do that, go rate and review our podcast instead. Uh, until next time. Take it sleazy. Ugh, make good choices. I think limelight comes from, like, there's a specific kind of lighting system, also also known as calcium light. There's our fourth C. Four C's. Prime, (laughs) communication, calcium lights, and cummies. Um, (laughs) I call them cum-cums. Cum-cums. Dun, dun, dun.